You are now listening to What the Hell, a podcast dedicated to helping you navigate your way to better health. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 45 of What the Health. I'm your host, Lena Lahire. Today, joining me, I have no one. It is me and all me. Today, I am going to be giving you a little update about my cortisone treatments, what that's looked like for me. I know I talked about that quite a while ago. I haven't been keeping my followers updated, my listeners updated. I'm sorry for that. Uh, spoiler, Spoiler alert, they didn't go as well as I thought they would. Um, unfortunately, but that's okay. We're going to talk about it. I'm also going to talk about my SIBO protocol by popular demand. I asked people if they were interested in hearing about what I'm doing to treat SIBO as I tested positive for it and what that might look like for you if you suspect that you have SIBO. So we're just going to dive right in Let's start with the update about the cortisone treatment. So for those of you that don't know, I got into a whiplash injury five years ago and I've had all of these kind of mystery symptoms that no one could really figure out over the last year and a half. Lots of facial pain, facial tingling, extreme amounts of pain at the base of my neck, like right on the occipital ridge, right at the base of the skull. A pain that just radiates towards basically the center of my face. That has lasted for a year and a half, a solid year and a half. Uh, I usually have some sort of pain every single day. So I finally figured out that it was due to the whiplash injury after seeing a physio, figuring out I don't have the neck strength that I need. And now, uh, or I should say, I got cortisone shots in the facet joints in my neck, C2, C3, C4. And at first I thought that, you know, it was going really well. And then it didn't really make that much of a difference. On top of that, I also had an ear infection that I kind of let go over like, I don't know, probably a year. That sounds terrible, but like my ear had been bothering me and I just didn't really think anything of it. Uh, So that made everything really bad. I've never experienced an ear infection before, so that was horrible. So after that cleared up, I could figure out, okay, did these injections work for my neck? The answer is yes and no. They gave me a little bit of relief, but not much. However, uh, the pain on the side of my right, uh, the right side of my face did go away. And I haven't had that come back, but I still have pain on the left side of my face. So it kind of feels like I've been smacked in the cheek, which, which makes sense if that's coming from the cervical joints at C2, C3. So the suggestion that both my doctor and my physio have given me is to do a second round of cortisone shots. Not looking forward to it in the least, but Usually what happens is the first shot doesn't work or it will work to a certain extent and then it kind of just dwindles down. So I'm going to try the second set early June 
uh, second week of June, I believe it is. And hopefully those work out for me. I also have some other funky symptoms going on in the back of my head. And this is something that I've done a lot of research on. I'm you know, very aware of my body. I want answers when something's not right. I'm not okay with it to just sit like that. Uh, I've had a lot of nerve pain in, like I said, in the, in the base of my skull, in the back of my head. And when we get pain that refers to our face, it's never coming from our face or usually not coming from our face, especially when it's like nerve like pain. And so I had said to my husband, I think I have occipital neuralgia. And of course he's like, okay. And I talked to my doctor about it. And he was like, oh, maybe. And then when I talked to my physio, he said, that's really interesting that you say that because I wanted to talk to you about that possibility as well. And what happens with whiplash is the occipital nerve can often become damaged. So in addition to getting the cortisone injections in the facet joints, I am also going to get an occipital nerve block. It's a diagnostic in the sense that it will, they'll inject a local anesthetic into the occipital nerve and all the branches from the occipital nerve, which go like behind the ears and, and through the skull, scalp, sorry. And if the pain goes away in that instant, then that's a really good indicator that that is the source of pain. So more on that to come, that's going to be happening like I said, the injections are beginning of June. The occipital nerve block will hopefully be before then. And we'll just see how it goes. I mean, it's definitely been a struggle living with chronic facial pain. I wouldn't wish it on anyone, but at least I know where it's coming from. And I have a better sense of, of how to solve it. And I'm pretty determined to get down to, to the root cause. You know, I never... I, I shouldn't say never. I don't always like to go down the traditional medical route in treating these things, but something like whiplash injury and doing injections and nerve blocks and and even something like prolotherapy, sometimes there's just no other option. So I'm kind of willing to do whatever I need to do in order to not be in pain. So getting these injections, getting the nerve block will allow me to strengthen my neck so it's able to better support my head and it doesn't cause so much pain. So that's the update with that. I will also keep you guys in the loop with how the success of those second injections go. I'm not going to lie. They hurt. They hurt really bad. Lots of people say cortisone injections don't hurt, but they, in the neck, when, it, when it's in a facet joint in your spine, they suck. They really suck. But you know, I did get some relief, like I said, on the right side of my face. I don't have pain on the right side of my face anymore. So that side did seem to take better. And hopefully the, the occipital nerve block will take care of the pain in the center of my face. Okay. Moving on to SIBO. What is SIBO? You're like, what could possibly else be going on with you? It's like one big ball of fun. Well, about hmm, seven years ago, eight years ago, I was diagnosed with IBS and I have struggled with stomach issues for at least 12 years. So I've had constant like abdominal pain, bloating, diarrhea, weight loss, all, 
you name it, like food sensitivities, environmental sensitivities, and it's just gotten progressively worse as I've gotten older. And over the last couple years, I've had quite a bit of unintended weight loss. And so my doctor last year had recommended that I go get tested for SIBO. However, in Canada, and I think most places, uh, Europe, I don't think, uh, charges you for it. But in Canada, you have to pay for it. And it's a breath test that you do. And it costs $200. So it's not cheap. You have to do a special diet the day before you have to cut out certain supplements and medications prior to taking the test. And then the actual breath test is three hours long. You have to to fast for 12 hours, you drink this solution of lactulose, which isn't absorbed by the human body. I think it, it's not absorbed. So it creates these gases. And what they're looking for is hydrogen gas and methane gas. And if there is an excess of this gas or this bacteria that causes this gas in the small intestine, then you can show up positive for SIBO. The small intestine is not supposed to house a bunch of the bacteria that's showing up there producing those gases. And so if this lactulose goes down into the small intestine, produces these gases, you know that you have SIBO. So my test result came back positive. I was not surprised in the least because I knew, I knew that I didn't have IBS per se. And actually studies have shown that as much as 84% or even more of IBS and, um, diagnoses are actually SIBO. SIBO stands for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, and it can cause a host of problems. IBS symptoms are the most common, but it can affect your mood. It can affect your skin. Uh, like I said, digestion is affected. So if you have all of these issues going on with your digestion, it could be SIBO. SIBO is very common, but unfortunately it goes undiagnosed, untreated. I think because a lot of doctors don't recognize the prevalence of it or they do, and they just kind of dismiss it. It's expensive to get the test and it's expensive to get the antibiotic, which I will go into. So a lot of people just kind of live in pain and they suffer. And I know that I am in a position financially in which I can treat this. And it really does frustrate me. It makes me sad that a lot of people will not be able to afford these tests in Canada, in the US. My doctor said in, in Europe, he's from the UK, that testing for SIBO is done in clinic. You know, in Canada, it's not. And then on top of that, so let's get to the treatment of SIBO. Usually it requires an antibiotic. I'm going to say it always requires an antibiotic, but you can either choose an antibiotic or an antimicrobial. An antibiotic is something that's prescribed by your doctor. An antimicrobial is like an antibiotic, but it's a natural antibiotic. So things like oil of oregano or garlic or berberin are kind of like the main ones used to treat SIBO. So I did go with the antibiotic because it's got the most evidence to support it. And I want to hit this thing hard. Like I've been dealing with stomach issues and not able to eat 
foods that I want or enjoy foods for, you know, at least 12 years. It's been, that's really challenging to develop a healthy relationship with food when the very thing you're trying to develop a healthy relationship is hurting you. Well, it's not the food that's hurting me. It's the interaction of that food with the bacteria. It's the, it's the bacteria that's causing issues, not the food. I should correct myself. So I want to hit this thing hard. The main antibiotic used is rifaximin. Rifaximin is not absorbed in the stomach. It is, it goes down into the small intestine and works where it's meant to. So there's no systemic side effects from it. You don't get that like nasty antibiotic feeling when you take it, but (laughs) it's $600, $600 Canadian. That's right. 600 bucks. And if you are not covered, that will be out of your pocket. Unfortunately, most drug coverages are not that great. And our drug coverage isn't that great. But lo and behold, Rifaximin was covered. So I still had to part with $180. But it's a whole lot more palatable than $600. On top of that, I had methane dominant SIBO not hydrogen dominant SIBO. Methane dominant SIBO is a little bit harder to treat and often requires another kind of antibiotic. I don't know all the ones that are used alongside rifaximin. So not only do you need the rifaximin, but you also need another one. Metronidazole is what my doctor prescribed me and I couldn't take it. Like that is, I think it's absorbed in the stomach. I'm not sure, but that is brutal. Like any kind of yucky um, feeling you get in your stomach, the feeling of like vomiting, metallic taste in your mouth, headache, dizziness, you name it. Like it's not pleasant at all. And My doctor warned me it wasn't going to be pleasant. The pharmacist warned me it wasn't going to be pleasant. And it wasn't. I could only stay on it for two days before I had to tap out. So what I decided with the help of my doctor and a nutritionist. Oh, I should rewind for a second. I'm seeing a nutritionist right now who is absolutely wonderful. Angela Cadden, if you want to check her out. She uh, accepts clients. I think she's accepting clients. She might be full. So she recommended that I test for SIBO. So I am working alongside both a nutritionist and a doctor, which is super important. The antimicrobial that I decided to use alongside rifaximin is from a product line called Metagenics. This has the most scientific literature to back it up. It's got the most evidence to support it. I'm using two antimicrobials in conjunction because they work best together. They're called candybactin AR and candybactin BR. So that is what I'm using instead of the metronidazole. I'm using those two supplements while I'm using the rifaximin. I will have to be on the rifaximin for three weeks my doctor said at least three weeks. I like pray to God I don't have to do another round event and part with another $180. And the antimicrobials for four weeks. And then we'll reassess where I am 
you know, in four weeks, if, if the SIBO has effectively been treated, how my symptoms are on top of that, I'm also using a spore probiotic, which is absolutely fantastic for microbiome labs. I highly suggest that if you use a probiotic, you get on a spore based probiotic. I'm on immunoglobulin support to help repair my gut lining. There's lots of evidence to support immunoglobulins. That's also a product from microbiome labs. And I can put all this in the show notes, the antibiotic, the antimicrobials, the other support that I'm using. And really like this next bit, I've decided to take spring and summer semester off of school and to really just focus on my health. Because when I get back in the fall, I want to hit the ground running. Like I've done basically my whole degree with chronic pain. And it's, it's been only, only through God that I have been able to get through my semester. So half of my semester is basically like me just pushing through. And and I really want to enjoy the process of, of being in school, you know, as a mature student, I'm paying for this myself. And I'm not saying that kids or younger people that aren't paying for it don't want to appreciate it but when you're paying for it out of your own pocket you really appreciate it so that is the goal is to really spend spring and summer just healing my gut healing my neck and and the whiplash injury and then just going into fall hitting the ground running okay so if you know anything about SIBO then you also know you have to follow a very specific diet as well. SIBO is often paired up with candida yeast overgrowth. So candida is a type of yeast found in your body. And when it overgrows, it can cause a host of issues as well. And there's a lot of connection between SIBO and candida. So one of the main things to cut out of your diet that I have to cut out of my diet is sugar, added sugar. And I don't eat a lot of added sugar, but like, I like going out for my ice cream once a week. And I like, you know, having a nibble of chocolate here and there and, and, you know, like not being so restrictive because I've been through a very disordered relationship with food. I've been through an eating disorder where restriction was just a part of my life. However, this is therapeutic. This is not a forever thing. And that's one thing, you know, when you're dealing with something like SIBO or candida and you're actually on a protocol in order to heal from that, you have to see that protocol is therapeutic. It's not meant to last forever. It won't last forever. And there's an end goal. The standard diet to follow for SIBO is kind of the low FODMAP diet, which is well known in the IBS community, but also in the SIBO community as well. So they're very specific carbohydrates that are not easily digested that can end up sitting and fermenting in the gut and creating a lot of issues. So broccoli, cauliflower, apples, pears, there's a ton of different foods in which to avoid on the low FODMAP diet. It's not a sustainable diet. It's not meant to be a sustainable diet. It's meant to be a therapeutic diet to see if 
it reduces your symptoms of IBS. For SIBO, you don't want to be eating a bunch of fermentable carbohydrates and giving that bacteria more to feed off of. Conversely, with yeast, yeast feeds off of things like sugar. Um, So cutting out sugar, cutting out vinegars, mushrooms, citrus fruits, like I have a whole bunch of histamine issues, but all of this is because my gut is not in the healthiest place. And when we have a gut that's not functioning well, then the whole body doesn't function well. You don't absorb nutrients. Food particles can pass into the bloodstream. You can develop sensitivities to foods that you wouldn't normally be sensitive to. Our gut health is so important. So this really is just a season. And in the grand scheme of life, it's going to be a short season. And I'm dealing with the stomach issues once and for all, hopefully by the end. I won't have all of these different sensitivities. I won't be struggling with the issues that I was struggling with before. And I'll just be able to enjoy food. Of course, it doesn't mean you just go back to eating absolutely everything. There's some things that your body's going to like and some some things that it's not going to like. You know, high amounts of sugar are probably not going to work well for most people because sugar can contribute to yeast overgrowth. I mean, stress contributes to yeast overgrowth and SIBO, all manner of things. So we got to get our microbiome in check, which is why I have some very exciting guests coming on who are experts in this field. who are going to talk about gut health, microbiome, um, IBS, SIBO, all the like, I have some some very exciting guests coming on in the very near future. So if you have any questions, particularly that you would like to know, please feel free to leave them in the comments section and I will ask them on the show. That is all for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Please head over to iTunes and subscribe to What The Health and leave me a review. I'm super excited for the guests coming up. So stay tuned for that. And remember, you are powerful over your health.